You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. So let's get into this morning's message today. Around 1989, 1990, I was fully involved in my college years, in my college days, and there was a song that came out that started off with this iconic vocal line, I've got the power. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Look, listen, 32 years later, still everybody kind of knows that song. And I thought about playing a little bit of a snippet of that iconic female vocal line, but I didn't want to embarrass some of you younger people if your parents were to stand up and do something completely mortifying because they hear that vocal, I've got the power. Uh, And I think the thing about that song, more than that uh, groove and the beat, which is really good and somewhat timeless, but it's that anthemish declaration, if you will, of having the power that makes this song so universally popular and, and just kind of gets you going when you just hear it right off the beginning. And like you just want to go to your go-to dance move, whatever that is. That's why I didn't want to play it this morning, because I don't want to see that. And you don't want to see mine, and my family doesn't want to see mine. They see that enough at the house. But beyond that, I think the reality of why we like that declaration is because, if the truth be told, we don't have a lot of power. And so we like the idea of driving in our car or being in our house and just singing it like we don't care, like we really do. I do have the power. I've got the power. And I almost believe it for a second, because we all want that. Nobody likes to be powerless. And the truth of the matter is, is that we go through this life a lot feeling that way and actually maybe being that way. But we want the power to be in control. We want the power to be in control of our decisions. We want the power to be in control of, of our relationships. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. So we want the power to be able to do what we want to in our life. We want the power of, of, of honestly, if we're tr- truly truthful about this, we kind of want the power not just over our own life, but we want the power over other people's lives. Because power over other people is intoxicating. And once I have it, I want a little bit more. So I want that power, power over people, power over my own decisions and what I want to do. And and nobody else can tell me what to do. However, since the reality is is that most of us really don't have that much power, we vicariously kind of live through the lyrics of a song like that, slugging through our days, powerless to change much of anything. Now, if that sounds depressing, I want to ask you something. Is that really the case? Are we powerless in this life? Now, the world that we live in would say, well, for the most part, yes, but you can change that. You can change that with how you think. You can change that with what you do and and what you listen to and and how positive you are. And you can begin to have influence and power. It will tell you that you could have power if you had enough money or enough enough position, enough popularity. Uh, Maybe politics could give you power. If you had enough followers on Instagram and you were a real influencer, you could have power. We often believe this too, that if we have the right person in power, that everything would be better. If we have the right political system, that that was universally accepted. If we had the right economic system and the playing field was leveled and everything was distributed evenly, we would have a better society, more equitable power structures, and, and people would just be genuinely better. 
But I want to tell you something. There's a message that Jesus had that's just much more radical than the message of Karl Marx or Thomas Jefferson or anybody else for that matter. It's a, it's a message that says there is nothing short of having a new creation, a new life in order to be the one who has the power to live in this life. There's nothing short of becoming a completely new creation and being born again to be a part of a completely new community. That's the only thing that's going to change the power structures around us. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, outlined this powerful new community that he's talking about. That if you are becoming a new person, a new creation, that you would be made a part of this new community. It was radical, mysterious, countercultural, shocking in many ways, and powerful except in a way that seemed almost powerless. This new community was called the church. It's what we're still a part of today. You and I, in this room, you and I, gathered together with people all over the world who claim Jesus as their Savior and Lord or a part of his church, the body of Christ. And the church is meant to live with the ultimate power in this life. In the middle of the old society, there's a new community that is supposed to live in this power and to live in the middle of that being a light to all of the broken power structures that we have. So yes, we live in a world where there's a battle for power. Maybe you've heard the phrase, a power grab. Oh, that's just a power grab. They're just trying to grab power. We live in a world where the enemy has always got a power grab going on. And no matter what the facade is or what we put on it or what we call it or what we say the battle's all about, there's really only one battle for power in this world, and it's the battle between darkness and light. And the enemy's trying to go for his power grab for as long as he can to grab the power from God that he can never grab again. So we do have power, and that's what I want to talk about, that we serve the one who's got the power. Today, we're starting a new series in the book of Ephesians. It's called Sit, Walk, Stand. So we're going to stay in this book for a while, a few weeks, a few months, however long it takes us to get through. Sit, walk, stand. Very simply, these are verbs that describe our position, that describe our practice, and our power. As Christians in the church, our position in Christ, our practice in Christ as Christians, and our power in Christ in our relationships over the devil and against the system of the world. So if you have your Bible with you, I want you to turn in the Word of God today, specifically to the book of Ephesians. We're going to start in chapter 1. And the title of this morning's message, not surprisingly, is We, Not I, We got the power okay y'all sound like y'all are excited about that maybe I should have played the song for y'all so as an overview the letter from Paul is written to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus he's writing to this church at Ephesus these faithful saints and it's focusing on what God did through the work of Jesus Christ in the past and what he currently is doing through the work of the Holy Spirit right now in the present through the church in the earth and beginning in chapter 1, Paul begins to outline this new identity that we have in Christ. Who you are, who you are. If you give your life to Jesus, he's saying, this is your identity. This is who you are. You're a part of the family of God, the Father. Then you're a part of the body of Jesus Christ, his Son. And you're also the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. That because of Christ's position of supreme power and ultimate authority over all things, those of us who are in Christ are united with him by faith, reconciled to God, and reconciled to one another 
And he goes through this kind of verse by verse. And the whole letter is a combination of the church's position and the church's practice. It's the doctrine of Christianity and the duty of Christianity and our faith in Christ and how we actually walk out or live out our lives because of our faith in Christ. For all the hyper-individualism that we have in this world, particularly in the church as well, man, maybe probably particularly in the West, it's all about me, right? My personal relationship with Jesus Christ, my, my personal quiet time, and, and those things are true and they're fine, but here's what I want you to understand. The power that we were created to live in is only accessible and it's only functional and works as the united church. It's not the I got the power, it's always we got the power. We have a purpose. We have a plan. We have a destiny that God has for us as the church. We are to be the radically reconciled people of God to him and to one another. So if you have a problem with the church, you're going to have a problem with the book of Ephesians. If you become more of a critic of the church than a champion of the church, then you're going to have a problem with the apostle Paul and God himself because the church is the bride of Christ. So we want to champion the church this morning, and I want to talk about the power that we have in Christ, the power that Christ died and rose for us to walk in. If we're going to have it and do that, then we're going to do it together with all kinds of different people called the family of God, called the church, the diverse but unified family of God. So let's read these powerful and encouraging verses from the book of Ephesians. We're going to start in chapter 3. It's a lot of verses, but it's worth reading the word of God today, letting it get deep into our hearts and to our minds. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ." In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So that marks section one. It's just praising God for all of the blessings that we have in Christ. Verse 15, for this reason, all these blessings that we have in Christ. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Heavenly Father, we pray that your word would come alive inside of us today and change us from the inside out. So this whole section of Scripture is describing the new life that you and I have in Christ if you surrender to him. And it's divided into those two subsections that I mentioned. Verse 3 through 14, consisting of praise and thanksgiving to God for all of the blessings that he's given us in Christ. And then a prayer in section 15 through 23 where Paul is asking God, you can almost hear him, he's pleading for God to help us, the disciples then and us today, the church now, to grasp and walk in this blessing and power that we have in Christ. Most scholars, commentaries would say Ephesians 1.3 is the key verse of this entire book. So I want to read that again. This is how we should be in praising God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, who's us, anybody that's given their life to Jesus, the church, blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. This affirms a few things for us. First, Christians are Trinitarians. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's affirmed throughout this, these passages. So we praise God that he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing through the Holy Spirit because of God the Father. Now here's the truth. We're not shielded from difficulty. We're not shielded from pain in this life. But what we have is everything that we need to live a satisfying, God-glorifying life no matter what we're going through in this earthly experience. Amen? Yeah, you can applaud that. That's good news. I had somebody come up to me in the, after the first service and said, Pastor, that was so good. I, I, wanted to, I just wanted to talk. It's kind of quiet in here. I'm like, well, lead out. Lead out. I mean, you know, if it gets that quiet, lead out. I don't know who you're waiting on. So we've got a God-glorifying life, no matter what earth has and throws at us. And Paul's going on to describe these spiritual blessings in the next few verses. And it covers everything, the past, Thank God, right? It covers our past, our present, and the future. It's not just the present, and it's not just the past, but then it's also the future. That's the hope of every believer, that we have the hope in Christ, the hope of glory. So God, because he's all-powerful, covers it all. But I want to focus in on the present, where we are today, and what does God have for us today according to his word, what we've been singing about, the power that we are to live in as Christians. The power that we have right now, according to verse 19, is his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. What kind of power do you have as a Christian? Incomparably great. That's what the word says. Now let me state what I think is obvious, that the majority of us don't feel this type of power in our lives most of the time. It's what I said earlier, it makes a song like I've got the power so popular and appealing because if we're honest, when we hear about spiritual power in Christ, we're talking about how powerful Christ is and how powerful God is. It sounds like, like pastoral hyperbole or some sort of biblical idealism. 
Well, that sounds great, Pastor Brent. That's awesome. Good in theory, but does not really correspond with my powerless real life experience right now. That's wonderful. That's the, re the resurrection power. But yeah, I'm not feeling that right now. And I don't fault you for feeling that way. But I have to say, I, I often feel that way myself, if I'm honest. But by God's grace, today I'm praying along with Paul that the word of God would change our hearts and change our minds. Also to know this, that our feelings don't tell the whole story, but our faith believes in the true story. Aren't you glad that your feelings don't tell the whole story? Yes, they tell a story, but it's a story that I submit to the cross and Christ and ask him to change what isn't right about my feelings. I'm not driven by them. I'm not led by them. I'm led by the Holy Spirit of God who's supposed to have control and help me have self-control over my feelings. So that we would be able to grasp, Paul says, the truth in real, right now, present time to know that the resurrection story of Christ means that we have power today. So that's what Paul prayed. So why do we not feel this incomparably great power at work in our lives? Like I said, why is it that I can walk through my day and not feel that power? Why is it that I can walk through my life sometimes and feel more powerless than powerful? And the most basic reason that Paul mentions here in Ephesians 1, 18 is that the eyes of our hearts are dull to the spiritual reality of the power we have in Christ. It's like we're spiritually blind to what is more real than what we see. We don't see some of the indescribably amazing things that God has done and continues to do on our behalf in our lives day after day, minute by minute, one that, that, that maybe we forget about, but that's just breathing. Therefore, we miss the magnitude of his power at work right now. Jesus knows it's hard to believe in things that you don't see. Isn't that what he said to Thomas? Look, Thomas, it's great that you believe because I showed you all of this, but blessed are those who don't see and still believe. Blessed are those who walk by faith and not by sight because that's what we do today. And we need spiritual corrective lenses. I mean, I, 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 have, so, I have so many glasses around my house. First of all, I can't see far away, so I've been wearing glasses or contacts since I was about 13. I'm blind. I can't see without my contacts with glasses. Then I reach about 45, and then I can't see, see things that are close. It's like, well, I could take my contacts out, and I'm like, oh, wow, I can see that really clear. But then I can't see anything else. Who's talking to me? Is that, honey, is that you? Oh, no, that was the dog. I mean, I, like, I, don't, it's like, I, can't, I couldn't tell the difference without my glasses. And so these are everywhere because I can't see anything. So I'm just like, I, I need glasses everywhere. So I pick them up and put them on and read, all right? We need these spiritual corrective lenses everywhere. Put them in your car, put them on your nightstand, put them in the bathroom, put them where in your workplace, put them wherever, because every now and then, or probably all the time, you need to put them on and go, oh, I see the power of Christ that's at work in me. Let me bring it a little bit closer so I could see it. So we need spiritual corrective lenses because without them, spiritual things are blurry to us. Therefore, we don't clearly see something like God's power that's at work in our life to conquer sin. Think about that. Think about the deadening power of sin that is now being conquered in your life by God's supreme power. Have you ever had pain, like physical pain in your life? 
Yeah, so some of you, I heard some, <laughs> it's like those that are older, like, every time I get out of the bed in the morning, like, hey, I'm there, I'm with you. I was like, really? Is this what it feels like to roll out of the bed after a 50, you know? But if you ever had excruciating, let's just say back pain, and then you took a, a drug or a shot that took that pain away, you, man, that's a miracle drug. Why? Because it's holding back and stopping something that you know is painful. It's not a miracle drug except for the fact that you know the pain that it is blocking. So here's how this relates to what God does for us in our lives and as it relates to sin. If you have ever been forgiven and have any measure of victory over sin in your life, you're amazed at the power of God. But only if you know the indescribable depth and power that sin used to have a hold on your life. Didn't Jesus say it was those who were forgiven much that love much more? But here's what we need to understand, church. We are all those that have been forgiven much. I can't look and say, well, man, they've been forgiven. No, we've all been forgiven more than we can even imagine. So to understand the magnitude of his power at work right now, don't minimize the power of sin that Jesus has broken over your life. That power is at work. And some of you know the power that sin had over you at one time. Another reason we don't feel the power of God toward us now is that we are not fully aware of the magnitude of the demonic power that is coming against us at all times. We don't even think about it. Or maybe you do think about it. But the reality is that God is at work holding back things that we cannot hold back ourselves. Not in our name or in the name of anybody else. Only the name of Jesus. Now, I'm not the guy that goes and sees a demon or the devil behind every little thing that happens in this life. We have human agency, and we make some stupid, dumb human decisions ourselves. But the reality is there's only two forces at work in this world, and it's the forces of darkness and the forces of light. And we are in the middle of a spiritual battle, and here's what I want you to know. If you're fighting the good fight of faith, what are you fighting? Because the Bible says in Ephesians, we'll talk about this, not flesh and blood. You're fighting against the principalities in the darkness of this world. There's demonic forces at work in this world. And here's what you need to understand. The enemy hates God and all the things that God loves. And his moves are always the same as they've always been. And that is stealing and killing and destroying. His native language is always what it's always been. And it is lying. His go-to tactic is what it's always been. And that is to divide, to divide cause division and conquer. And he does all of this all the time for as long as he is allowed to. But watch this. If you feel safe today, if you feel the security of God today, if you feel the power of God to protect you today as your defender and protector, then you sense the power of God. But only if you know the deadly power of the enemy that he is holding back. See, if you have any measure of freedom from demonic control or demonic assignments against you and against your church, then you will be amazed at God's power towards you now. But only if you know the indescribable darkness and the power of Satan at work that God holds back as if it is nothing. See, sometimes I think we believe that God's up there struggling and straining and trying to hold back evil in this world. Please, he's God. He's defeated the devil already. 
He's a toothless lion that he laughs at and he holds back. Now, he could take us out because we're not God. And he holds back things that come against us and the church and the body of Christ and your marriage and your kids and your families and your future. He comes at us in all kinds of ways. And God's power, the indescribable power of Christ that Paul's talking about is known to us and holds him back from our lives. Praise God. Finally, another reason is that God's power towards us that we don't recognize or consider because we don't think about what Jesus did after the resurrection and his current role in the universe. It's like, oh yeah, Jesus rose again and that was kind of the end. No, he ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. What does that mean? And then Paul goes through the rest of this verse, verses of this chapter to tell us what that means. If Jesus gave his life for you and you belong to him, body, soul, and spirit, then you will be amazed at God's power towards you right now. But only if you see and grasp like Paul's praying and understand what has become of Christ since the resurrection, that he is our resurrected Lord, yes, but he is also our ascended Lord. And this power we have is because of that. Verse 19, back to it. And his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he did what? When he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. What is this saying to us now? Here's what I want us to understand, church. This is what I want us to grasp. This is what I want us to walk out of here feeling on a Super Bowl Sunday. I want you to feel like you just won the Super Bowl. We have present resurrection power right now. As a matter of fact, that's what Paul's prayed we would see in grass. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Yeah. Notice that he said know him better. What does that infer? It infers that even if you know him, that you can know him better. Even if you know God and you've given your life to Christ, you can know him better. Even if you've been married 25 years, you can know your spouse better. Even if you've had kids and now they're grown and they've got kids of their own, you can know them better. You ever been in that conversation where you're just like, man, I never knew that about you. It's like all of a sudden you just went closer. I didn't know that about you. And then all of a sudden, when you're in God's word and you're reading about his incomparably great power and all the things that he's done for us and because of what Christ has done, we go, man, God, I never knew that about you. You feel closer. I want to know him better. And so the question I have is, do we want to know him better? Do we want to take the time to know him better? Because it takes time. Do we want to get in his word and, and pursue him to know him better? Because too many people are satisfied with, yeah, I got saved. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I'm a Christian. But do you want to know him better? Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. There's that word again, know. We heard it in verse 17, that you would know this. Now he's saying that you would know this. And this word indicates not new knowledge. This isn't some new revelation. He's saying this. I want you to have a better, deeper understanding of something that you already knew. You already know God. And I want, he's your savior, but I want you to know something more about him. I want you to know something better about him that you didn't know before. 
And he's, and he's saying this over and over again. I want you to know this way in an experiential way. We can say it like this, right? Because a lot of times, I've said this before, we don't always need a fresh new word, but we need a refresher on understanding the old word more deeply. We don't always need a new revelation. We need a deeper understanding of the ancient revelation. The kind of knowledge Paul is praying for in this sense, this word know, is this conscience, ex, conscious experiential knowing. It's the difference between tasting and seeing that the Lord is good in an experiential way versus just a I know in an intellectual way about God. Because we like food around here, right? Pastor Keevan, we like food around here and we like to talk about food. Uh, let, me, let me say it to you this, this way. Everybody knows what a hamburger is in here, I think. And if I were to say, do you know what I know a hamburger is? But if I were to bring out a hamburger, man, I really wanted to do this today. I wanted to have a real one out here and I wanted, but just pretend. And I brought out this hamburger. I said, this right here is the best hamburger you will have ever tasted. You say, well, I know about a hamburger, but you don't know about this hamburger. And you're not going to know about this hamburger until you take a bite of this hamburger and you taste and see that this hamburger is good. And a lot of us know about God. Well, I know about God. Yes, I go to church. I know that. But we don't know him better because we haven't dug in and tasted and seen that he is good. To know him better. To know him consciously and experientially. That's what Paul is praying, that we would know him this way. Paul prays that we would know this about him. He prays really three things. Verse 18, that you would know what? What is the hope to which he's called you? What is the riches of his glorious inheritance? In the saints, that's two. And number three, what we're talking about, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those of us who believe? He's not praying that we would get the calling. He's not praying that we would become heirs. He's not praying that we would get the power. He's reiterating what was spelled out in verses 1 through 14. You have the calling. You are the heirs. You got the power of God towards you. You don't know them as well as you could or as well as you should, but you can know them better. And Paul is saying, I want you to know them. I'm praying that you would know them now. Know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards you who believe. He's praying that we would be spiritually, experientially conscious of God's power toward us, believers right now, that we would experience present resurrection power. He goes on to reveal Jesus' activity after the resurrection, and this is why we know and can see the greatness of Christ's power at work right now. That's why I said this a moment ago. How do we know? That what Christ has done in raising from the dead and ascending to heaven is that how's that power at work in us today? And he says this over and over again. He compares it in verse 19. This incomparable power that's at work in you is like this. And then he gives us like five different things of what it's like comparing, making a, a comparison to. It's like this, he says. First, God raised Jesus and broke the power of death. This power that's at work in you is like the power that he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. God raised Jesus and broke the power of death. That's the power that's at work in you. There's so many songs that we sing about this. So many Easter's have come and gone where we've celebrated this historical fact that God raised Jesus from the dead never to die again. But the point here is that power of death is broken for all who call on Christ Jesus the greatest enemy of all humanity death has been defeated Paul is saying that Christ's death was the death of death 
and then he rose again and ascended to the Father. And of course, yes, we're going to die here biologically, physically, but as believers in Christ, the sting of death has been removed. Death has now become a doorway into eternal life with Christ forever in heaven. The second thing is this. God seated Christ at his right hand and he seated us with him. God seated Christ at his right hand and he seated us with him. See the last part of verse 20. God seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That power that installed Jesus Christ at the right hand of God the Father is also there for us. If we look at Ephesians 2, and we'll talk about this later on in the series, it says God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That we will look at this verse and see that this is exactly what God has done for us. But the power that took Jesus from death and put him eternally in God's presence puts you there as well. And it keeps you there. It's the mystery of the already and the not yet that we talk about in Christ. Like, well, Pastor Brenda, it looks like you and I are right here right now. How can we be there too? That's the mystery of the gospel, that we are victorious and yet we're still in this battle, that he has seated us in heavenly places in Christ and yet we're still here. But positionally, this is who we are in Christ. That's the power that we have in us so that when we're going through life and we're going through the things that we're going through, that we can call on his name and trust in him. In Christ, we got the power. Third, God set Jesus over all demonic powers. He says this in verse 21, that he's far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. There is nothing, no one, no political leader, no demon, nothing that is greater than him. We will look at Ephesians 6.12 later on as well as I've talked about that that says rulers and authorities include all devils and all demons of the universe. And the power towards you now is a demon stomping, devil defeating power. Paul said in Colossians 2 that at the cross God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. So when Jesus rose from the dead, he exalted over all the hosts of hell. And they are defeated foe. And yes, they're still operating in the world. And scripture is clear that there's still battles to be fought, that we're in a spiritual fight. But the power from God for us now in these battles is a present resurrection power. In Christ, we got the power over every demonic force. And listen, it doesn't take very long. All you got to do is take out your phone or get on the news and just read some stories about what's going on. All you got to do is watch some, some uh, different shows and see what's going on in the world. Maybe sit in a courtroom and see what's going on all over the world. And you can see just the demonic at work, like things that you go, how could anybody humanly do that? And yet we have the power as Christians over those things that we have nothing to fear. In Christ, we got the power. Number four, God gave Jesus as head over all things to the church and for the church. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Now, I know we've heard uh, the metaphor, if you will, of us as Christians being the body of Christ. We also know that scripture tells us that Jesus is the head of the body. But in this verse, it says that the risen Jesus Christ is the head over everything, not just the church, 
over all things, implying authority and conscious active rule over all history, all human beings, all demonic powers, all disease, all disability, all nature, all weather, all hurricanes, all tornadoes, all governments, all presidents, all religions, all galaxies, all solar systems. He has the power over all of it. And why is that good news? Because that means wherever you are, he's got jurisdiction. You ever heard stupid stuff that people would tell you about, hey, now if you drive fast enough, you can get away from the police if you cross over the county line. They can't follow you. They don't have jurisdiction over it. That's the stupidest thing anybody's ever told you in your life. I mean, that's probably stupider things. Is that not stupid? That's stupid. But here's the thing. I don't care where you are. I don't care where you go. I don't care what power is being exerted around you or you feel like it's coming against you. Jesus has jurisdiction over all of those things at all times, everywhere. Call on his name, church. Consequently, the church can overcome all opposition because of the absolute lordship of Jesus Christ over all things that this verse says that he has. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's a rhetorical question because nothing and no one, this is the present resurrection power to live and die for the glory of Christ. In Christ, we got the power. And then finally, where God rules, we will rule. Now, I'm not talking about like some sort of emperor or king. I'm talking about in a life as a believer, that nothing should have rulership over us except the lordship of Jesus Christ. We believers are the church in the earth right now, which is his body. And here's what this also means. It means that wherever we are, we can establish the kingdom of God. It says we are the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I'm not sure I can even express this and how crazy this is, but I'll try. God's power toward us intends to fill the universe with the authority of his crucified and risen son. Through us, the church. And though that takes my breath away, he intends to make us, the church, those who believe in him, the means of that fullness, the embodiment of that fullness in the earth today. That is that where he rules, we will rule. He created humankind in the beginning to inhabit a beautiful creation, to subdue it, enjoy it, rule over it, and reflect his glory in it. And that's what he's taking the church and doing through us even now today. That the new humanity called the church, that he will fill creation with all the fullness of his glory through us. That you and I, the church, will be that fullness. His body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, it says. This is the present resurrection power at work in us. Because in Christ, we got the power. You want to know why all of this is so important? Why does this all matter? Why does it matter? Why is Paul praying? I, just, I want them to grasp this. Why, why did, even for me this week, it's like, for me, I'm praying, God, I want to grasp this and understand this more. And I want to communicate this in such a way and preach your word in such a way that we as a church would grasp this and understand this more. Why? Because Satan is real and he is at work in the earth to destroy, destroy everything that God loves. That's why this is important to know. We're not on a playground. We're on a battleground. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy every marriage that's in here. He wants to destroy your kids. He wants to destroy your relationships. 
He wants to destroy your relationships with people in the body of Christ, your brothers and sisters in Christ made in his image. He wants to destroy this church and the church. And ultimately, he wants to steal and destroy anything and everything that God loves. If you want to know, experientially know, consciously know what verse 19 means as Paul prays that we would know this, then wake up to the demonic battle that rages around us every single day. And we've said it before and we'll say it again. It may rage around us, but Jesus is the one that has the power to calm every storm. Every battle. We sang it just a moment ago that he's the one that looked death in the eye and said, I will. And what this scripture is telling us is because Christ has won, we have the immeasurable power now at work in us, and we win. Since he won, we win. We don't just have a power, we've got the power. And if you still struggle with this thought, okay, okay, okay. But how, how, do, I, how do I get that power? How, how do I, what do I do? What do I need to do? I know this is going to sound crazy. But you accept that it's done. That this whole purpose of the first part of this letter that Paul's writing is to tell believers this is your position in Christ that makes this powerful life in Christ that I'm about to talk about a reality. I'm praising God and worshiping him and thanking him for all the blessings that he's given us in Christ. Our position so that we can practice who we are. Because we live in a world of doing. But Christianity is a gospel of done it's finished Ephesians tells us who we are and why and it has nothing to do with anything that you did any merit of your own anything that you did to tip the scales it's got nothing to do with that and here's what he says it's because of the greatness and the grace and the power of God what do I mean Ephesians says that God chose you before the foundations of the world verse 4 and that should make you feel amazing it also says that God adopted us into his family in verse 5. In verse 6, it says that he accepted you. He accepted us by his grace. God makes us acceptable in Christ. This is our eternal position, and nothing can ever change that. He's also redeemed us, verse 7 says, meaning from the slavery of sin and death, and now he's made us sons and daughters. He's also forgiven us, meaning that word says carried away our sins so that they will never be seen again. He has also finally made us his inheritance, which blows my mind. Meaning Christ cannot claim his inheritance apart from us, his church. So guess what that means? If he started the good work in us, he's going to finish it. That if he started what he started right here in your life and in focus and in the church, he's going to finish it by his power. Not by my power, not by your power, but by his power at work inside of us. And to make sure that we never forget any of this, that we would remember and grasp and that would never leave our hearts and our minds, he says, finally, I'm going to seal all of this with the gift and the seal of the Holy Spirit in your life so you'll never forget who you are in Christ and you'll never forget the power that's at work in us, the church. So the Holy Spirit sealed all of this. And I pray like Paul today. I'm praying for us, church, in focus. I'm praying for you, our families, those that come behind us, that we would grasp, that we would understand, that we would experientially, consciously know better 
and walk in this power that we have in Christ. Because thanks be to God, in Christ, we the church have got the power. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.